0: Look what time it is! It's UFO Happy Hour! Welcome to The Bar, friends. This is our very first episode of our brand new show, UFO Happy Hour. We've been doing UFO Happy Hour episodes for years, but they've been periodic episodes on our other shows, so we decided to pull UFO Happy Hour out and make it its own show. And that's what we have here. I'm thrilled to have with me today at the bar my dear friends Maureen Ellsbury, Ryan Sprague, and Shane Hurd. Welcome, friends. It is fantastic to see you.
1: You too. You too, man. Awesome to see you, man. Finally. It's been a long time. Finally.
0: (laughs) Finally. Well, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be surprising, but the primary subject we're chatting about today is that little UFO report that saw the light of day last week. Of course, we're talking about the UFO report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the one that was requested by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence last summer. A classified version of this report was delivered to Congress on Friday, June 25th, and the unclassified version was also released to the public on that same day. The report, officially titled Preliminary Report on Identified Aerial Phenomena, is just nine concise pages, but there's plenty of good information in this thing. We'll talk about some specific items in the, the report, but before we do, I want to give us all an opportunity to share our individual initial reactions to reading this UFO report. So, Ryan, why don't you start? Uh, what did you think, buddy, after reading this thing for the first time?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone's kind of comparing it to Christmas. Like, we were waiting. It's like Christmas Eve waiting to open the present. And then the present came. And I will say, you know, the first time I read it, it was kind of like, I I keep comparing it to like, you wanted a PlayStation 5 and you got a cartridge to like an Atari (laughs) or something. And the first time I read it, I was like, okay, one was a cover page, one was an appendix. So really, it was like seven pages of material. But initial reactions, uh, I felt pretty deflated and let down. And I sure will get into, you know, upon reading it a second or third or fourth time you start to really find some nuggets in there and uh i'll say right now at least fast forward i feel pretty damn good about it i thought there was some some good stuff in there um so yeah at first you know atari cartridge but now i'm at like a maybe a super nintendo sega genesis maybe
0: Nice. Moving up. How about you, Maureen? What do you think about this report? I think there's
3: nothing surprising for most of us in here. I had very, very low expectations. So um, to me, this is a lot of stuff we already knew was going on or happening, but there are some some positive things that are, you know, the government's recognizing that, yes, this centralized reporting is super needed from different organizations and they need to get their act together. I mean, we've been slowly reporting not just in the government about when official organizations or you know like i don't remember what it was like the fire department of somewhere that all of a sudden they'll start adding in little clips that that are how to report on on ufos or uap yeah. um, so this is good and it's a positive move forward from what we're seeing now and again as you mentioned we we got Seven pages of content. They got a lot more that went in depth. Um, and when I first read it, I was waiting. I was <laughs> when they start talking about the different things they've decided. You know, there's going to be these five sections uh, that they believe that they're going to be able to categorize everything, in, and that's including the mysterious other, obviously, which is where. Traditional UIP reporting of what if it's extraterrestrial in nature will fall. However, I, w- I kept waiting for I saw natural atmospheric ph- phenomena, and I was like, "Where's the swamp gas?" And uh, instead, I got instead I got <laughs> right. ice crystals. So, uh, <laughs> so it's good, and you know. Sorry, I went in with excuse. super low expectations. So like like Ryan said, there are some little nuggets in there. I think one of the most exciting things is they're realizing, hey, we can use machine learning and AI to our benefit to uh, try to begin to learn and categorize about reports and understand what's happening. And uh, I think by you know how how crazy machine learning and AI is that we may be able to come up with some sort of graph that helps us learn and explain what some of these objects might be.
0: Yeah. Very cool. How about you, Shane? What were your initial thoughts or reactions to reading this report?
1: Yeah, I I think it's, you know, what we all expected it to be. It was, you know, um, fairly political uh, it had a little bit of technical to it. Uh, it was really written in a way, I think, uh, for the public to consume it as well as um, for political leaders to consume that, e- even the public version. And I was actually thrilled in that I, I had the scary thought, a la Blue Book, that they would come out and pull the rug out from uh, under us and say, we've identified all of this, it's ours, it's blah, 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 you know, I I half expected that. So I'm pretty pleased that um, with what they presented, I mean, it was really about, you know, setting up a, um, you know, an institutionalized effort to, you know, investigate and analyze and report and do all those things, which is great uh you know i felt like it was written in a way that they were they were doing exactly what the bill asked them to do no more no less you know it was it just seemed very careful carefully done which you know that that's reasonable fair enough um but i too thought there were uh, a lot of things in there that were uh, of value and it it was more it was one of those documents where i felt like there was as much said between the lines than it, what was actually stated. And so I think, you know, we, we should be fairly, uh, you know, pleased with it. Um, I mean, it was light on technical. I, I, was, I was really confounded in the fact that they didn't really provide any case data. The only right. reference to cases was we looked at this body between 2004 and 2021, and one case was a balloon. Okay. That, when I read that at first, I'm like, oh no. And then the other thing that bothers me, and we'll talk more about it later, is that other category. Sure. And I'll, I'll tell you why sure. from an IT perspective. But, but, you know, overall, I'm pleased with it. It's a good first step. I think it's a baby step. And boy, I would love to see the classified version because hopefully, I, I hope that they provided real data in there that, that will paint the correct picture. Uh, for, the, for the decision makers, those in Congress, et, et cetera. Absolutely.
0: And I, I agree with, with all of your reactions. I mean, that's it's basically what, how I reacted as well, reading this. Um, we'll say I was, again, went in with low expectations and came out very uh, surprised myself, but uh, pleasantly surprised. It was certainly not what I was expecting at all. Uh, a lot of good things in here. Certainly, a lot, a lot missing, as you pointed out, Shane. But uh, let's go through some of the some of the you know, notable things in this report. Um, and I do like how you mentioned that it, it seemed like it was it, you know it's not technical at all, written for the public, and that is very clear. Certainly by the fact that they published this thing to the public on the same day it was released. You know, the same day they they sent it to to Congress. Um, that was surprising to me because, again, there was a lot of hype and a lot of expectations built up with no foundation, no basis for assuming this was going to be released to the public because all it said was there should be an unclassified version of this report. That doesn't mean public. We know that. But it was released and published to the public that exact same day. So I think it was written for the public. Um, hmm. Interesting point number one um, the data gatherers cast a very much uh, wider net than was asked for by the report, which you know was one of my uh, p- very big problem points with the report request. It just asked for basically Navy data and FBI data, which if you really want to look at the whole picture of UFOs and try to figure this thing out, that's not really doing it. It's not gonna get you very far. But in for this report, mm-hmm. The, the Navy and FBI uh, data was there, sure. Plus Army, Air Force, NSA, DARPA, the FAA, and many more agencies. So that was great to see. But still with this added data, the focus really still was only on 144 recent military sightings. So still a long way to go. But with that large data pool, I don't know about you guys, but that was a very pleasant surprise.
3: Uh, I I was just going to say, you know, one thing, there there were all these different agencies, and I I 100% understand why it's more limited to situations of, like, trained aviation pilots and things like that or, or out there. But I really would like this to include the NPS, too. I mean, national parks are... Uh, a source of high strangeness that we know that there's a lot of unidentified objects that people spot out there. And that's a government organization. I would like to see data from that as well. And a few others, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that that's not necessarily something they've considered, but um, it was notable to me missing.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think to the, The two that I really wanted to hear from that weren't in there were NASA and um, the DOE. Like, we hear that a lot of these things are, you know, sent to the DOE when it comes to nuclear incidents with incursions over nuclear installations. So I wasn't surprised it wasn't there because they don't really answer to anyone, apparently. Um, But I was hoping that there would be some sort of integration with NASA, which maybe we'll get in the future. I don't know. But I think there are, they need to be briefed on these things. They—it's their job to know what's in our skies and what's going on on our planet. So um, I think, yeah. While well, I was, I was surprised DARPA was there. I was let down that the DOE or NASA yours were
3: really are much more logical. But than again, mine. they
2: had six months. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really like yours more. That's that's yours something is that good. I never don't bring up. Yeah, I never would have
1: no, thought of that. No, that's interesting. I didn't
3: think of NASA. Though. Interesting
1: cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking too that in in the report they talk about this collection bias that they may have in that that the- and this this is one of the problems I have with this, but I, I think they're going to be okay. And that is they say, hey, look, uh, we can only work with the data we got. And they're complaining on the one hand, we don't really have the data. Our sensors aren't calibrated for this. And we don't have the staff and blah, blah, blah. That to me was political pitch for money to, to create a program, which is fine. And that's what they need to do. But on the one hand, they're complaining about that. Then they're saying, and there's collection bias. Well... I, I'm sorry, but you know, you make it sound like only UFOs are in military training. Yeah, and we'll areas. certainly talk about that more no. soon. And I'll, I'll say MUFON, for example. Yeah, five thousand. We get five thousand exactly. cases a year in non-military settings. So if you want some more data to help, you know, you get your footing. Maybe you can go to mm-hmm. NARCAP. You know, um, maybe you can go to MUFON or or, or whatever source. But I get why they're saying, "Hey, we're only looking at our stuff because they have the sensors and that this is their world, and you know they're interjected in their world." So, yes, they should handle that first. But I mean, on a long-term basis, on a programmatic scale, when you're doing your analysis, you need to bring in more data than just the things that are happening to you, because there's a great big old wide world, other nations other militaries you know civilian uh, civilian aircraft all those things have have these encounters and and there are reports out there so you know, I, I just hope that they set up a true uh, investigative organization and and um, provide real analysis based on a broader base of case data than just what's happening with them. But I absolutely get that's what their first concern should be and is, and I understand that. But I just hope yep, later. I completely agree, this. and
0: we'll we'll uh, come back to that point in a minute. But uh, another interesting thing is, as we already pointed out, uh, out of the 144 cases they looked at, they were all essentially still unidentified, which is crazy. They were only able to identify one out of 144, which is strange because – if you're doing a real look at UFOs, as we all know, 90 to 95% of those are going to be able to be identified. But in this case, not so much because they're only looking at these total unknowns. But uh, in 18 out of the 144 cases examined, the UFOs seem to demonstrate advanced technology. About 12.5% of the cases they looked at. Um, And that's probably, you know, the most exciting part of the report for a lot of people because of course when we're talking about UFOs we want the ones that seem exotic or, or more exciting or hard to explain so 18 out of the 144 cases seem to demonstrate advanced technology well, that's kind of cool
2: yeah I think too the, um, cool. the the aircraft systems in a small number they said were uh, military aircraft systems processed radio frequency energy. Associated with UAP sightings, that I that that like when I first read it, I kind of like what just didn't understand it. And then when I went back and actually like thought about that, I'm like, huh, that's an interesting observation for them to make and to put in the the public report. I thought that was pretty fascinating when it came to you know catching these things on multiple sensors too, so we know they're physical objects. This wasn't just like a misidentification mm-hmm. or like. You know, a problem with a the camera. These were physical objects, and that some of them process radio frequencies. Um, you know, when dealing with that, so I thought that was pretty cool. Wasn't expecting that.
0: But at the same time, it made me immediately think of drones.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good point too. Yeah,
0: there's very cool technology out there. But yeah, I agree, Ryan. That was one of the cool points is is mentioning that they detected RF frequencies from some of these hard to explain incidents.
1: I think one of the things that people will probably criticize is that um, any explanation of you know exotic current technology explaining these things falls short when you really look at the fact that these things have been happening since 1947. Sure, right. So you know that's not going to be a, a panacea explanation for this. Um, there, and and I think we've seen like Chris Mellon and and um Lou make comments to that that effect that um you know this technology is not like just around the corner for mankind technology or in development. The the capabilities these are demonstrating are hundreds or thousands of years ahead. Um and that's been the case from the forties and probably way before we just don't have that documented. So I I you know, I know a lot of people out there really thinking this is ours and or theirs type of thing. But you know, when you start looking at the case data and, and these capabilities and all of this, that, that's not enough of an explanation. Might explain some, but not certainly not all. And
0: of course with any case, with any of this, you know, our, our discussions are, are- based on extremely limited information. Even the data we have is limited. Yes. And, you know, with some of these cases where grand claims are made, though those grand claims are based off of, you know, systems that, you know, while it doesn't happen often, they are fallible. Right? These, these statements about, oh, it went from, you know, the, the surface of the ocean up to sixty thousand feet in a second. I mean, instrumentation is telling them that. You know it it's not something that again, and we haven't seen that data we haven't been provided with that data to prove that mm-hmm. um, but you know people need to understand that's also based on on sensors and systems, digital systems relaying that t- that information to us. You bring up a great point, Shane though, and I agree with you that it's hard to explain it away when these same types of behaviors from uFOs have been documented and relayed. For decades and decades and decades and decades. Hard to brush it off. Yep, hard
1: to brush it off.
0: Well, another thing that I found quite surprising to see in this report, because it doesn't get brought up enough, especially in these circles where they're pushing national security and, and, and the threat narrative, or looking at potential threats. In this report, it actually separates flight safety from national security, noting that UFOs do threaten flight safety. I loved seeing that. That was one of my favorite parts because we don't hear enough about that. Yeah, it's it's great to talk about this nebulous national security thing, but flight safety, that's one of the biggest things because both military and commercial and private pilots encounter UFOs in the sky all the time. They're near near misses all the time. That is a big deal when it comes to UFOs, and that has always been one of the biggest head scratchers for me, why the FAA doesn't give a fuck about UFOs.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, they, they even <laughs> mention 11 near misses, which is yeah. pretty – that's a lot for the hundred and forty-four or whatever they they looked at. That's a large has, number of fighter cases. fighter
0: pilots, right? I mean, think about how many other planes were in the sky.
2: Yeah, yeah, and we don't know. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. these were all military cases, right? So those were yep. just the near misses with military aircraft. Mm-hmm. Imagine, you know, what that case that the four of us talked about on a previous episode of Unknown was the one where the guy said the disc went right past him, and right. You know, so like again, I think the big thing, and um, I'm sure we'll get to it, is that uh, it's making it more possible for people to report these things, um, FAA wise, and hopefully military wise too. Is the the whole stigma and ridicule thing they mentioned a couple times in the report, which right. uh, I think was pretty awesome too. Like, it's okay to do this. Yeah. How many military people come to the four of us ten yes. years after the event? like oh yeah i didn't want to report it then but i'll tell you about it now i'm like cool what are we going to do with that data so i think that was pretty cool that it's like yeah please report it please
1: yep no and that's kind of the kind of stuff that really ufologists have just been asking for for the whole time is to um you know be open and transparent with this take Take it serious and you know the fact that they're doing that now is really satisfying. And I mean we're we're not asking for much more than that, really. When you think about it, it's just take it serious, do your job, you know, and let us know because this affects everybody. Like you said, just commercial air traffic, I mean, my gosh, that how many planes are in the air at any given time? Thousands, right? So I mean that that's super serious. So I I, I am pleased the way this is headed. Unless they do some kind of turnaround but yeah we're we're not predicting the future or looking ahead to the many
0: problematic things that are sure to come. Just looking at this report <laughs> alone, I agree with you, Shane. I do so another thing we learned in this report, uh just kind of dropped in there subtly, is that the u a p task force has long term goals, right, so they dropped that they had this long-term goal to widen the scope of its work to include additional UAP events documented by a broader swath. Uh, that's, that's good, right? We just talked about that. We need to get mm. broader and stop looking at this from such a narrow lens, but a broader swath of USG personnel and technical systems in its analysis. So still keeping the focus on military, but anyway, they've got long-term goals.
3: I I partially understand why, and this goes back to what Shane was saying earlier, um, they did not include other organizations publicly at this stage, at this juncture. You can tell that they were very, very, very careful with how they wrote this report. And I think bringing in agencies which notoriously are searching for the truth of extraterrestrial life instead of just the broad scope of identifying unidentified objects, um, was, was very calculated and, and they know what they were doing here. And they mentioned, um, uh, that the fact that, that a lot of these trains uh, pilots and, and military officials are not reporting on U, uh, UAPs because of the stigma. So I think this, this was kind of like, let's lay it out. So people know, we're not necessarily talking about the the more uh, out there topics to start. We're, that's our catch-all bin. Um, mm-hmm. But this that the, these could be all these other different things and, and stressing the importance of reporting. And I think that that's a basic first step. Obviously, in my mind and, and all of you, we know how many other credible sightings there are by civilians. And, you know, like you said, just... Regular commercial pilots and and uh, everywhere else across the board, and I think it would be behoove them to include a lot of those historic reports in their machine learning figures and and go from there. But maybe it's you know they need to have a separate sort of bank of information that they they know can be potentially unclassified compared to what's going to happen within these reports where we will lack, uh, you know, that we're not going to be privy to see all of this information. So I, I get it. And yeah, you think about all those past military sightings, even if you look at like, Robert Salas and, and other individuals who have reported, uh, you know, lights over nuclear uh, weapons over bases and all these things, are they going to add those historic reports into their official reports or not? Uh, I th- I think that there's a, a few ways they can go. And unfortunately, we will likely be in the dark on it. And that's why <laughs> it's great that civilian groups like MUFON and other areas exist. So uh, I, I get the bigger picture, but I don't think we're there yet.
0: Yeah, I'm with right. you. So we we hit a few of the, few of the highlights, um, and there are some more, but I want to move on to a couple of the other parts of the report that, uh, you know, there were a few uh, kind of no-brainer comments added to this report that at first made me roll my eyes pretty hard. But then after I thought about them, I was happy to see that they included it. Um, One of those was, um, you mentioned it before, but the limited amount of high-quality reporting on unidentified aerial phenomena hampers our ability to draw firm conclusions about the nature or intent of UAP. Really? Welcome to UFOs, right? I mean, that is UFO research in a nutshell right there. (laughs) Like... You don't. You're not going to have the data you want. You're not going to have high quality data, and you're not going to be able to draw firm conclusions about nature or intent of most UFOs. So, so that was kind of funny. Um, yeah. Another one in a limited number of incidents, UAP reportedly appeared to exhibit unusual flight characteristics. These observations could be the result of sensor errors, spoofing or observer misinterpretations and require additional rigorous analysis. Again, really? Uh, Of course, of course you're going to get that in UFO sightings. Um, The third one I pointed out, UAP sightings also tended to cluster around U.S. training and testing grounds, but we assess that this may result from a collection bias as a result of focused attention, greater numbers of latest generation sensors operating in those areas, unit expectations, and guidance to report anomalies. And again, you brought this up, Shane, but of course, of course, that's what they found in this case, because we also have to keep in mind the exact report request the report request was very narrow very specific and that's what it wanted looked into here was the incursions of training ranges and of course that was the focus of of this report of the data gathered naturally that's what it's going to seem like there are sightings clustered around here but uh, for anybody who wants to wants to look at uh, you know a broader set of data Cheryl Costa, man, you really got to check out what Cheryl Costa does. She and, and her wife, Linda, do amazing work. They're, they're doing even more work with their new book. Um, if you like statistics and data associated with UFOs, you're not going to find a better source than, than the work that they do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they would be a, a great uh, resource for the government to, to tap if they get down to looking at the broader picture, but another, just one more eye roll point I'll point out is that when they said, if and when individual UAP incidents are resolved, they will fall into one of five potential explanatory categories, airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomena, USG or industrial development programs, foreign adversary systems, and a catch all other bin, like we already mentioned. These, the government really seems, and, and you know this, Shane, about working with government, but it seems like, especially with UFOs, because we, we heard from Lou Elizondo, the five observables, and now we've got our five bins here. They like to have this number of categorization that they can put things into um, when it's kind of unnecessary. I mean, UFOs are all over the place. And I mean, you could really just say, solved, unsolved. But I think we would all like to have a peek at that other bin when they actually get to putting things in those bins. But as we see from the report, it doesn't seem like they've been able to put anything but one yeah. thing in a bin. Well,
2: and the other thing too, a balloon, one, <laughs> one balloon, thing, apparently. A balloon. Um, the other thing too, Jason, is that idea of like how they want to set up, how they collect the data now. The whole AI thing um, is awesome. And it's kind of it this, is. that sounds like this whole report mm-hmm. was like a sales pitch. To be like, we don't have the technology to properly study this. We need an AI system to do this that's going to figure out that's a bird, that's a satellite, that's a missile. And And Skyhub comes
0: knocking on the door and says, hey, we've got it.
2: We already have that. Mm -hmm. So, like, work with the public, you know? And I have heard rumblings that this task force might be uh, consulting with Skyhub, which is extremely exciting. So the ball's in their court with SkyHub because all TTSA of their data was and information working on that stuff is, too, right? Right. Them too TTSA the, was working
0: it? on AI with their Adam project. I think and or Adam? is it the Scout? The Scout app, yeah.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, so it's out there already. So yeah. but the problem being, you know, um Skyhub's big thing is transparency. The data is for the public. It's in the cloud. So you have to wonder, like, are they going to use their software but still keep it hidden and classified? So I think uh, Skyhub's going to have some ethical questions on their minds coming soon. I don't know.
0: I think it would have to be classified because it would have to. the thing's yeah. going to pick up classified projects.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Even though apparently that's not what yeah. any of these are according to the U.S. <laughs> government, which I don't believe for a second. But that's that's a whole other debate.
3: It's it's very interesting, though, because I think the technology, it's, it is out there. And, and you know, I work at a, a programming company and I was at a conference years ago and I walk around the corner and SETI has a booth there. And they were talking about how they were using machine learning to pull from all these different sources of, of um, you know, Publics, computers and all this stuff to put together information on a mass scale. Engineers can do it. It's out there. And, and I think that, you know, if they had a, if they want to come knocking on our door, I'll give them a government, I'll get a government contract for us to build some sort of crazy machine learning system for them. I mean, those, I'm just saying it's (laughs) the resources there. Clearly it's the funding, the money that's not there. Um, And that, yes, you're right. It was a total sales pitch of, okay, yes. unidentified. We need to figure out how to make this work. If you want us to exist, we need money. Give us money.
0: Totally. Well, I do have to bring this up because although there were things in the report that maybe roll my eyes, but later I appreciated the fact that they're were, they were actually in there. There's one thing that, that just got a got a hard eye roll, and that was the statement that said, there are probably multiple types of UAP requiring different explanations. Really, only probably, you think? You just figured that out after your your study? Give me a break. Of course, of course there are different types of UFOs. Uh, Yeah.
3: No, there's only one type.
0: (laughs) Only one type, one solution. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that that's the problem with grouping everything's all these strange UFOs into one giant pile when yeah. other bin, you know, they're they're not all the same. They're yeah. pretty much all different. So again, problem with the UFOs. They're 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 kinda hard. They but made the, the biggest snowflakes
2: like snowflakes,
0: right? Ryan. I like that. That's I, beautiful.
2: Thank you. I made that up myself. It's never been said before in the history of man. So <laughs>
0: I feel like, you know, if Jeremy Corbell were here, he would have a more eloquent way of saying that, like a like a blizzard Wep- of, of yeah. snowflakes or something. Like, I don't know.
2: Weaponize your snowflakes. Re- Weaponize <laughs> your snowflakes. We, we love you, know. Jeremy. We love you. Mm-hmm.
0: No, he, he has a way with words, man. All <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So the biggest question I have after reading this report is when they were talking about... That one balloon they were able to identify. Do you think they were talking about a Batman
3: balloon? Batman, Batman
2: balloon. It has to I be I hope here. it was Batman. Oh, really? See, I thought it was the Omaha video. I was going with the Omaha video because that one, like, pretty much everyone was like, that's a, it's a balloon. At least Mick West Interesting. So I Interesting. thought it was actually the Omaha video. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it... It's yeah, actually, now that you say it, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning more towards the Batman balloon. But um. I just wow, automatically assumed
3: it was the deflating Batman b- balloon.
1: Yeah. But they Her. said, didn't they say in the report that it was a very large deflating balloon? Mm-hmm. Like, I, right. I I thought more like a... um,
3: Like a Macy's Great like balloon? <laughs>
1: no, no, no. Like a weather <laughs> balloon. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's hundred feet tall, yeah. and you know it flattens and looks strange and stuff. I don't know. That's an assumption. Largest objective for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, as is everything with this report. I mean, we're sitting here chatting about stuff that you know we know nothing right, about. No, right? We don't exactly. Know it's all speculation. And, and, it, and the shadow is always in the details. You know. Think of this. Think of think of
0: a, just a normal balloon, just a regular balloon, yeah. and then think about the Batman balloon, like in relation. Is a large balloon? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: I, I mean, but can't they? So now that they've identified it and it's a balloon, it seems like they should be able to give us more information. You yes, should this right? The balloon spotted by this person. This is how we came to the conclusion that it was a deflating balloon, based on all these different uh, assessments that the public did. Probably they pulled a lot of info from, from what of course. the public was doing. Of uh, but yeah, I, I, I didn't even think about other cases.
0: I didn't either, but I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, I, I hope they do that down the road when they figure out how to actually identify UFOs, because that is tremendously valuable for the public. It really is when they can say, look, this thing looks bizarre um, you know, even for our fighter pilots, they saw this thing in the sky and they've never seen anything like this before because you would see a random balloon in the sky. It's going to look weird, but here's what it looks like. Just so you know, that is a balloon. So there you go. You can take this and, and use that knowledge as you're going forward and it will help you identify things in the future. I don't think we're going to get that because it doesn't seem like they've even gotten down to the part of, of identifying things. So, We'll see. But there is hope, I think, with this report um, and with other stuff that's come after the report was released. And that is, it looks like, it looks like the plan is to actually establish a true UFO program. Right, Because on June 25th, the same day that the DNI UFO report was published, Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks issued a memo directing the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security to, quote, develop a plan to formalize the mission currently performed by the UAPTF. The plan should, number one, Establish procedures to synchronize collection, reporting, and analysis on the UAP problem set, and to establish recommendations for securing military test and training ranges. Number two, identify requirements for the establishment and operation of the new activity. To include the organizational alignment resources and staffing required, as well as any necessary authorities and a timeline for implementation, Number three, be developed in coordination with the principal staff assistants, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the secretary of the military departments, and the commanders of the combatant commands, and with the DNI DNI and other relevant interagency partners. All members of the department will utilize these processes to ensure that the UAPTF, or its follow-on activity... As reports of UAP observations within two weeks of an occurrence. So that paired with what we saw in the report at the end of the report, talking about funding and, and you know, funding for a UA, U, UFO program. It looks like that is the goal here to establish a new government UFO program.
2: Absolutely. And you can't tell me this wasn't planned. I mean they wouldn't have this this wasn't an impulsive reactionary thing on the part of the DOD. Clearly the report was meant to be like, we lack the resources, the time to do this. Um, so here you go, DOD, you deal with it now. So hey, I think that's awesome though. Again, um, like they're moving the ball forward. We're gonna get a permanent program, hopefully. Um, but again, the real question is, will we will we see anything from it? Probably not. Unless it's leaked. Which, you know, we've heard people saying You know, the classified report, it'll probably, some of it will get out. Even Rubio said at one point that, you know, things don't stay classified anymore, not in today's world with the internet and, you know, everything like that. So maybe we'll see some of it. But yeah, I thought this DoD memo was so much better than the entire report, in my personal opinion.
0: Oh, absolutely. But again, the problem and and what what doesn't get me, or it gives me pause, is that it specifically mentions... Formalizing the mission of the UAPTF, yeah. which again is focused solely on military training ranges, military airspace. It's not looking at the whole picture. It's not concerned with civilian sightings, which make up the large majority of UFO sightings. UFOs are seen every day all around the world. Why are we just looking at military training ranges? It's kind of silly, but uh, you know, hey, If the government wants their own program to just look at military stuff, that's great. It's surprising they don't already have that. You would think they do. And I think the branches probably already (laughs) take care of their own thing. They're just not sharing data, but that should be a thing that the government has. However, I think the government or some other entity, and I don't know what that would be. I mean, I would like it to be on an academic level, but it should, you know, I think it would run smoother if it were operated by the government. Some true genuine UFO program to take over the role, really, of the National UFO Reporting Center, which sounds like it's a government thing, but it's not. It's one guy living in a missile silo doing this thankless task of fielding UFO reports from people all around the world. I mean, Peter Davenport does a great job, but I think, you know, the government needs something like that, kind of a central hub for reporting and investigation.
1: Yeah, that's a no-brainer. One of the other things, too, that looking at it, I mean, um, that whole executive summary and that whole report really, to me, read just like uh, an SOW or a statement of work. So, like, whenever you create, you know, a new program in government or you want to hire a contractor, you want to implement a solution, maybe a software solution, whatever. I mean, that's what it was written like. It, It really was a public pitch for a program, to create a program, which is awesome. That is exactly what I wanted to see, you know. And so from that perspective, I really appreciate it. But I do think they missed an opportunity here. Um, the fact that they didn't include any specific case data – i I was thinking what they could have done is they could have maybe elaborated, let's say on the Nimitz case, right? It's two thousand four It's no doubt one of the cases they were talking about It's been out in the public, so they could have expanded on that, referred to that they could have um they could have included maybe some information that we haven't had. You know, it's already declassified. It, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a threat to the security. Blah blah blah. And what they could have done is kind of created a model or a template of how they're going to report data out to the public when they do do an investigation and make a report. And they could have felt us out. They could have felt the public out. They could have felt Congress out by by you know including that in the report to to give us a taste of what what it is that they will they will generate you know what's the end product what's the what's the deliverable whenever you have a program or something you've got to have a deliverable and i think they missed kind of an opportunity there to set us up a little bit for you know create an expectation but you know that's probably not the purpose of what that was about i understand the bill was narrow what they asked for but they included some things outside of it a little bit so i don't know i i was just really disappointed that there was zero case data i mean they referred to 144 cases 18 this 21 that blah 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 fine but i, I didn't find that helpful and i especially didn't like the stupid balloon reference i've mean, the 144 cases And I'm sure there were more cases where they resolved them. They had to pick a frickin' balloon. I mean, that's irritating to me. That's like Project Blue Book. That's like, you know disinformation misinformation it's smacks of that so i don 't know if they just don't get it culturally like in the UFO community, which I know they're not writing it for us specifically, but you know have some situational awareness uh, government and you know pick something else but you know the whole I mean like you started the program with swamp gas I mean if they had to come out with that right people would have wailed and I think balloon is on the same level so um, I was a little disappointed because they had a a case they could have talked about that was really incredible and it's already in the public sector and they could have set a model or expectation and they didn't.
3: I think that's a great point and and that would have been cool to see, but I'm going to just off the top of my head guess that even though it's a declassified situation, there would have been a lot more red tape to cross and it probably would have uh, delayed the report to the public by uh, months potentially. Just I knowing would
2: have how had, to be honest. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt more, but like oh, no, I no, feel no. like <laughs> I wasn't expecting anything that day, to be honest, until I heard like the rumblings. But I would have know. rather waited another six months and got some case data to look at, which Elizondo was kind of alluding to. He's like, It's gonna get delayed. Um, and hopefully that's that's a good thing. Like that's for the better. But it didn't, and this is what we got. So sorry to interrupt, I just I, yeah.
0: Well, something that, you know, people—I know a lot of people were disappointed with the report. Like I said, I, I was pleasantly surprised, but I, I really hope people keep in mind what the UAP task force is. Um, again, there's a lot of this is speculation because we don't know much about the UAP task force. I mean, we know now who the director of that is, at least you know until that person is replaced, but. Understand that, again, a task force is a temporary thing. It's established for a specific purpose. This isn't something where they went out and hired people to put them in here and do this thorough, awesome job, and that was the only job they had. It's like if you work at any business, and they're all, well, we need a committee to plan a party, or we need need a committee to plan a conference we're doing. It's people you already have on your existing staff Mm -hmm. and they still are responsible for performing their job that they were hired to do, plus this extra committee work that they signed up to do. That's what we have here. We have people who have a job that they have to do, but they're also taking on additional responsibilities. They're people who are performing, I imagine, uh, uh, an impossible job of going to these different agencies and Mm -hmm. saying, Hi, um, would you please give us all of your UFO information? And those people are saying, fuck off. I mean, I'm sure that's what happened lots of times. And that probably is responsible for at least one of the IG investigations that's apparently ongoing or or evaluations. Um, Because, again, UFOs, it's a big problem with UFOs. And I don't think it's one that will ever, a hurdle will ever, uh, you know, be able to jump and that's because the nature of classified projects, the nature of government and military and secret programs and, and all of this stuff that's happening that most people in the government aren't going to know about. And certainly other, the agents, agencies working on these things aren't going to volunteer that information. And even if they're forced to, it's probably not coming out because they don't have to. They're going to do what they're going to do. Um, I always bring up the U-2, and, and you know, I know UFO people don't like to hear that, but the, UFO, the, the U-2 project is a very important thing for UFO history and for, for present things we're seeing right now to understand. There was a very, 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 very small group of people who even knew that project existed. Not that it was in development or you know, being researched, when it was actually flying missions. Only a small group knew that it even existed. And it took one crashing in Russia for it to be revealed. I mean, people in the Senate, in these intelligence committees, they didn't even know that the U-2 was a thing. So that stuff happens. That's how military and government works. And it's always going to be that way. I mean, I'm trying not to be pessimistic. I think that's realistic because we know that's how government works. So there's going to be a lot of that. But... I applaud their effort, and I do think it's very important if they really want to try to get to the bottom of UFOs or, or try to at least identify some here and there, because that's really all you can do with UFOs, they really need to come up with a better way of sharing data, and that really is the focus here. And I think they're hopefully getting to a point where they can have a conversation about it and try to make something happen. Baby steps. <laughs> Baby steps. Yeah, I like Baby that. Steps. Something cool that's that's happened, and I'm sure you guys have seen this, but uh, certainly since the release of the report, wow, the networks have jumped all over it. Yes there so is have. TV UFO programming on the TV like nobody's business. Yeah. Um, I mean, as we're recording this, I think there's a three hour <laughs> special happening right now on Discovery and other networks. Um, it's crazy. Um, it, it's fun. I I, I it love it. Fun. I'm trying to watch yeah. as much as I can, but uh, I will will drop this little salt promo here that I've hinted at but haven't publicly acknowledged. But uh, this Friday, Friday, what would that be? That would be July second. Um, a new show about Roswell is premiering, and I know lots of people like to roll their eyes and go, more Roswell, give it a rest. But there is a new television show about Roswell, and I happen to be on that television show. It's called Roswell, The Final Verdict. Um, I certainly haven't seen the show. I don't know how good it's going to be, but I will say this. What drew me to this project was something that we have talked about on this episode a few times, and that is artificial intelligence. That's a cool approach that this show is taking. They're applying artificial intelligence to witness testimony related to the Roswell incident, you know, assessing based on video footage and things like that, whether or not we get an indication of these people being deceptive um, or truthful and so it's kind of cool, uh, and I can't wait to see the show and how it comes out in determining, you know, some of this key witness testimony that we've all relied on for so many years uh, for the Roswell incident to see what the AI technology indicates, you know, if these people were being truthful or deceptive. So that should be kind of fun. So yeah, the the first three episodes drop on Discovery Plus on Friday, and then I think they're rolling one episode every week after that, and there's a total of six episodes. So. Lots of familiar faces from the UFO community will be on that show. Um, I know Ben Hansen's on there, Nick Pope's on there, of course. Um, UFO Jane. Several people are going to be on that show, so it's, it should be pretty fun. I'm I'm both terrified and excited to see it.
2: I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs>
0: I know. I know. You can't spoil it, Ryan. You can't. Spoil I won't.
2: I. But I. All I will say is it's a new approach and I thought it was really interesting and uh, some of their conclusions really surprised me. I, that's all I'll say. Um, yeah, it, it, it's well done. I highly suggest people check it out for sure. Awesome. Look,
0: I mean, this group of people right here with fans of Roswell, I mean, uh, Roswell, yeah. I will never be tired of Roswell. I will always be a Roswell fan. You can't just brush Roswell aside. Yeah. um, and to that end, I mean, not gonna fully detail what we're doing, but this team right here, the, the Rogue Planeteers, the team from Rogue Planet, um, is going to do a little deep dive into Roswell um next year in 2022. There's gonna be a lot of lot of Roswell stuff coming from us. So uh we'll we'll tease that more as as that approaches. But uh we, we like Roswell and and like you said, I mean with this, with bringing AI technology into it, that's rad. And what we've always said with Roswell, there's always new things that can be applied, new things that can be tried. When new technology emerges, that can be applied to these historical cases, and I think they should be. So, yeah, awesome. Well, friends, I think this is a good place for us to call it a night. So thank you so much, friends, for grabbing a drink and chatting about UFOs today. And thank you for joining us for UFO Happy Hour. We will definitely hopefully see you next time cheers cheers love your bottle right